low moral fiber. Choo choo choo, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Do we need to give a parental advisory for this? Men have low moral fiber, and they have all sorts of cool swag. And I'm Turk Reynolds? I chose moonshine today for my beers. Alright, everybody. Let's get swifty. Clicking furiously on my mouse. Kristen's doing it. That was cool. That was fun, guys. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Hey there, scallywags, and welcome to another adventurous point-and-click episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show that won't know what to do with itself when we run out of old LucasArts games. However, we're not even close to that yet. We still have a couple years left, hopefully. Uh, and today we're talking about one of the most classicest LucasArts games ever imagined. Uh, I'm your host, Ben Helms, and with me, as always, is my woodchuck-chucking co-host and big brother, Jason Helms. How's it going, man? It's going good. It's going about the same as uh, when we did this game the first time around, because this, uh, this feels like we're doing the same game again. Yeah, man, there was a lot of crossover. For some reason, in my mind... These were totally separate games, and they were done years and years apart, and it was like this huge build-up to this game. Um, and I think playing the remastered versions of both, too, it felt like the same game, because well, they remastered them around the same time, too. <laughs> well, let's not keep the people on edge. Tell them all okay, about uh, what we're playing. Oh my gosh, you're right. I forgot. Uh, yeah, so today we are diving uh, three-headed first into <laughs> another game from uh, one of the, the Helms Family Favorites collection, and that is Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge. Uh, and this was one of the one of our favorite games. I think we, we liked the first Monkey Island, but this is one that I remember the gameplay, I think, the most out of all the Monkey Islands uh, from when we were kids. But uh, what to you, before we dive in, kind of set this Monkey Island 2 apart from the other, at least Monkey Islands or other point-and-click adventure games? This game is peak Gilbert. I mean, this, this game <laughs> just... True. He has hit his stride. Uh, yeah. And I don't really have any knocks on the first Monkey Island. Mm-hmm. Um but it really feels like with this game, LucasArts as a whole took a step up. And I know yeah. Ron Gilbert looks up back at this game pretty fondly and uh, knows you know he might do things differently if he had to do it over again. But all in all, it's a really, really amazing game. I, I was trying to compare in my mind, you know, why is it that for me, Day of the Tentacle is my favorite LucasArts game as opposed to Monkey Island 2? Uh, just because I was loving Monkey Island 2 so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. And, and I realized, you know, there's... There's probably five or six that for me are all in the same area. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, Sam and Max is in there. There's a couple others. And then I, <laughs> you just got to pick one at the end of the day. Like <laughs> this game is really amazing. Yeah, it does feel like I'm sure I've said many times like this is the game. This is the Helms family brothers game that we played more than any. But I, I don't know. I guess if that was one, that'd be Day of the Tentacle. Yeah. Uh, but this one is definitely up there. This yeah. is probably the number one Monkey Island one that we played the most. So, uh, but yeah, so today we're talking about Monkey Island 2. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the history, the how it got made, who made it, give them some of the credit, some of the new technologies that were um, implemented in the in the making of this game. Uh, talk about how it was received, kind of where it lies in the Monkey Island the five monkey islands, kind of where it lies in there, how we rank it, how it's kind of generally thought of. Uh, then we'll get, finally, we'll get into the gameplay where we just dazzle you with all the spoilers and cheats and hints that we did all along. Uh, and then, of course, we'll play another rousing game of what's the beer, what is the song, where we uh, tell you if this game were a beer or a song, what it would be from both of our perspectives. Uh, then we will end it, of course, with talking about what we're playing next month, which I th- still think we need to decide. So we might take a quick break there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's dive into some of the history. So 
this game came out in 1991, uh, which was only a year after the original Monkey Island came out, which, again, I did not realize they came out that close together. Yeah, I remember them being close together. Uh, I might have even remembered that they were a year apart, but um, what I learned in, in doing just the, the little bit of research I did for this is that they started working on Monkey Island 2 before Monkey Island 1 was released. Yeah, you know, they that's knew what I learned too. This yeah. is the next thing. They just knew it. They knew it was going to be a hit. Yeah, it wasn't based on like the reaction of Monkey Island 1. It was just based on feeling, oh, we can do another one of these. We can keep yeah. it going. We've, we've got the technology. We can rebuild it. And when you have, exactly, when you have the, the power team, right? This is one of those yeah. uh, a few power teams, LucasArts games with Ron Gilbert at the helm, yeah. who's the, the lead uh, designer, uh, who's, he was the one that did the first scum game, um, Maniac Mansion. He did that with Gary Winnick, who, by the way, are both coming out hopefully soon. Thimbleweed, Thimbleweed Park is coming out in 2000. Early 2017. Which is the same release Which date. Which is now. <laughs> uh, same release date that my book had until uh, earlier today, which hey I'd yo. like to say. I got a book coming out in three weeks, uh, February 25th. Oh, February 25th. February 25th has an actual to, date, unlike Thimbleweed Park. Take that. Take 20 seconds right now to, to sell your book. Uh, it's about comics, but it's super scholarly and academic, so boring. But also, it's got drawings and animations and stuff in it, so less boring. Um, but the biggest selling point is that it's free. It's open access, published by the University of Michigan. Uh, so yeah, we'll be linking to it from the side, I'm sure. Um, if you tweet at us uh, and say, I want your book, you will get a free copy. The first thousand Twitter what? followers will get a free copy of this free wow. book. Wow. So yeah, look forward to that. Gig them, gig them big Aggies, sick them, right? Big blue. Was it, was that Michigan? Okay. Yeah. 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 No, you Dang know, it. But- one of those was actually right. Dang yeah. it. Yeah. Whoops. Oh, uh, nerds. Okay. Anyway. So yes, back to, back to the good stuff. Oh, H. Not that your book go is Michigan. Great. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, H I M. Wait. So <laughs> oh, anyway, Ron Gilbert, lead designer guy. He, he did also did the cave. He worked on that with Tim Schaefer, who is the head of double fine games. Uh, and, Tim Schafer also worked on Monkey Island 2 with Dave Grossman. So those three guys, Grossman, Gilbert, Schaefer, worked on the original, and they worked on the second one. And those definitely set themselves apart from the other future Monkey Island games because they had the magic LucasArts 3 people working on it. Um, and you can definitely tell, again, we haven't played the other Monkey Islands in years, um, but from what I remember and the more I read about it, you can definitely tell just the the story, the humor, the whole design of the game is, is different. Um, and I think because it's different designers these two the first two games are held up a little higher than the other ones yeah there's a big shift in tone after Monkey yeah. Island 2 and maybe even tone is the wrong word but just um there's this holistic feeling that that changes yeah uh, and i'm not sure if if uh gilbert and the rest of the crew had made those if if it would have felt like one and two anyway i mean who knows how people change over time but one and two are really of a whole uh yeah. they are one game broken into two parts and the most frustrating thing is yeah. it's missing its third part. There's definitely yeah. supposed to be something after it. Yeah, Gilbert has a really good blog, uh, which we'll link to uh, somewhere. But um, Grumpy Gamer? Uh, what is it called? Grumpy Gamer, isn't that it? Yes, it is. Grumpy yeah. Gamer, I think it's grumpygamer.com. I'll fix it here if it's not. Uh, where basically he just, he hasn't been you know at LucasArts since right after this, I believe, 93, 94, somewhere in there. And so he kind of goes pretty deep into the creative process and making these games and why he was pissed that he couldn't make a third one and kind of, you know, no holds barred getting into this stuff. And, and he always talks about how 
um, Monkey Island was meant to be a trilogy. And he even has a, a few blog posts called If I Made Another Monkey Island and gets into all the rules. And it's kind of political because he talks about owning the rights to Monkey Island and yeah. stuff. So it's not just a creative outlet, but um, but very, very insightful to the behind the scenes making of the Monkey Island games. Yeah, one of the um, things he says there is, you know, I wouldn't do it again unless I owned the intellectual property. Yeah. And one of his reasons yeah. for that is that he would want to be able to do whatever he wanted with the characters and also let fans do whatever they wanted with the characters, um, which cool. is a, a cool kind of uh, impulse there. The other thing is with um, Grim Fandango and Day of the Tentacle, the remaster mm-hmm. versions coming out, mm-hmm. you know, that's actually a possibility. I don't know that that's impossible the way that it would have been when he was writing this a few years ago. The more, I mean, especially as, um, Disney keeps kind of lending out the license to these games to be remastered by companies like Double Fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that they, I mean, I don't know. I don't work there, but it seems like something that's more possible now than before Disney bought them. So I think we're good to break this story now. Uh, Monkey Island 3, uh, coming out from Ron Gilbert. Uh, yeah. He just texted me a few minutes ago. Early 2018. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Exactly. It's right behind, uh, right behind Thimbleweed Park. He said. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Ron, if you need to correct that at all, feel free to come on. Uh, yep, happy yep. to happy to talk to you. That'd be great. That'd be great. Okay, so uh, one of the things I love talking about these old games and doing the research for all of them. It seems like a, a lot of the games when people are being interviewed, Tim Schafer does, talks about this a lot um, in the in these older games where he's basically saying how we had to rush this to press or whatever he's talking about. They don't really press video games, I don't think. <laughs> The wax wasn't even solid when we sold our first game. I don't know. <laughs> However, programming works. Um, where he's talking about how like there wasn't there was never enough resources, there were never enough people, there was computers that were smoking, all these crazy things. The hamsters were passing out on their wheels, keeping everything powered. People uh, forget that in the early nineties, computers could smoke in offices. Like that was a normal thing. That was before Sizzler separated it from smoking computers <laughs> to non-smoking computers <laughs> at the buffet. Little it little plexiglass 90s, wall right down the middle. Uh, yeah, didn't keep yeah, it any yeah. smoke out, but you know, exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, my point to that whole thing is <laughs> it seemed like that wasn't an issue on this, even though they had a small team, it was basically 90% of the same team of, uh, monkey Island, the original. So they just added a few more people. Uh, the big new technology, uh, implementation was iMuse. This is the yeah. first game to every, uh, use iMuse. Uh, we talked about iMuse a few times, but basically that's the, the audio sequencing MIDI engine. So it's the score for the whole game. It's all the music in the background. Um, and I, th- I think it was Gilbert who talked about in an interview that before iMuse came along for any of the scum games, what they had to do was program the music to that scene. So when the character was in their bedroom, it was the bed- bedroom theme song. And it would be, depending on how big they wanted the file to be and how many discs they wanted it to be, uh, it would be on a loop, a 30 second loop. And it would just be that same 30 second loop over and over every time you're in that room but when iMuse came along, who was it? Uh, Michael Land and Peter McConnell invented iMuse or implemented it or designed it, created it, X and Hilo. And they, uh, basically it, it created one score that starts at the beginning of the game and ends at the end of the game. And it's just an ever-evolving piece of music, says Ron Gilbert. Uh, and it basically is unique every single time you play the game because you're never going to take the same path. And when you go you know, from the docks into the bar... The music changes, but it keeps a similar beat or a similar note. It changes in a way that's subtle enough that it's in the background. It's not a whole new song when you go to a new scene. And that even keeps the file sizes smaller on the audio. Yes. Um, yep. Well, which is weird because the music ends up being longer 
and actually having much more innovation in it. Um, what struck me, I, I didn't think about this till you were just talking about it, but it reminds me of um, what they did with Rescue on Fractalis and some of their early sim games. Mm-hmm. Of you know, we don't have the computing power to create this uh, really amazing world, but what if we had it so that the world was just created on the fly? Um, yeah, and that actually you know requires less work. Uh, have the video game make itself. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Uh, another one of the kind of new uh, technologies they had, we talked about this in uh, Indiana Jones, Fate of Atlantis, but was scanners, <laughs> which, again, isn't exactly something that I think of as like a new technology because I'm young. Um, but <laughs> basically, they talked about th- this was the first LucasArts games where the artists could actually draw pen and pencil onto paper rather than sitting down at a computer, having to be taught programming in order to go in and like color in all the pixels. They just drew to paper like they knew how to. And then they, they, they said they had to do it after hours because there just wasn't enough computing power to do it during the day. Um, they would scan them in, and then the next day they could actually have these highly detailed drawings rather than have the artist draw it and then try to mimic the same thing on the computer like they did with the first Monkey Island and all the previous games. Uh, but I think it was uh, it was Grossman who talks about scanners at the time costing as much as cars and weighing almost as much. <laughs> so it's wow. just like I'd imagine just a scanning room where all of LucasArts shares one scanner and they wow. had to like reserve time to be able to use it basically. Yeah. Uh, one thing I read which kind of blew my mind because I don't remember floppy disks very well, but was uh, apparently for Amiga, I don't know what it was for uh, different versions of the game, but for Amiga, it the game included 11 floppy disks. Nuts. Which seems like the biggest hassle. I remember when we bought Titanic when I was a kid, and it was two VHS tapes because it was such a long movie, and that was a hassle, like having yeah. to get up every hour and a half or whatever. But eleven? Do you remember what it was like playing a game that you had to change the disc eleven times? Oh, absolutely. I don't remember this game necessarily with that. I really remember that about the first Monkey Island because there's the great gag when you open up the tree stump and it says "put in disc thirty-four or something right, like that. Right. Yeah. That's um, good. But I, I absolutely remember that, and the the switches would usually happen between parts. So Monkey Island is told in four parts, um, and mm-hmm. so you you would always have to switch. Then that was a normal thing, and it felt really really rewarding. The really frustrating ones were when part of the world was in one disc. So if you're moving between islands, but you're still in the same part of the game, switching mm-hmm. discs then. Really oh, frustrating. So it's not just 11 times throughout the whole planet. Right. It could be 40 oh, times. You know, depending on, because you would have to do it for each island. Now, I don't remember if Monkey Island 2 that was true, but there were a lot of games where if you'd switch to a different area of the game, you had to put in a new disc. Uh, sure. You'd be going back and forth. This is a good time, I think, to mention how we played the game. We've both played the games on our PCs back in the day, but now um, we bought them a couple years ago on uh, iOS, on our iPhones. Yeah. And so this is how we, we already owned them, so we played them on that again. Um, very different game playing that way. I didn't have to switch floppies once. Um, it was just insane how much the technology for this game, especially with the remastered version, has changed over the past 20 years. Uh, but one one last note on the, the making of, I was talking about the spinning hamsters and the kind of going by the um, skin of their teeth or whatever. Uh, it seemed like that was a totally different thing on Monkey Island 2, and they talk about how the only hindrance they had was manpower, just because they had a few more people than Monkey Island, but never as many as they needed, I guess. And also just uh, like mind power or just ideas. So it was, it wasn't for lack of resources or technology that this game would have bombed. You know, they'd had no excuses. Basically it was whatever they could think of, they could put in this game. And uh, I think it was Schaefer talks about how uh, they could put, if they had an idea for a scene or a conversation, some dialogue, they could put 
a couple people on it for a couple hours and put that whole thing together. Yeah. So they had probably thousands of hours of things or hundreds of hours that they never used that were fully animated and developed and programmed. Um, but they were so good at this whole scum thing, uh, by by this team that they put together was so good at scum and, and programming that it wasn't like a putting this together last minute kind of thing, but they had had at least the animation and the programming down pretty well. Yeah. There's a great post on grumpy gamer called if I made another monkey Island, um, where he just walks through key things he would change. Uh, but one of the things that's clear from that post and a couple others is, you know, Ron Gilbert left LucasArts after monkey Island two. Um, and yet he had a real idea of where he was going with monkey Island three. And you don't need interviews with Ron Gilbert to tell you that. You can feel it from Monkey Allen, too, that there's an arc, there's a direction this is going, and you're left kind of hanging, not to use too much of a pun there. Um, And uh, in the If if I Made Another Monkey Island post, he goes through some of the details, and one of them is that he would have a really, really small uh, design team, um, 10 or fewer, which is awesome and seems to be what he's doing with Thimbleweed Park. Uh, yep. so in some way, in some ways, Thimbleweed Park may be that lost monkey Island, certainly not, uh, the same plot or anything, not plugged in with the characters, but, uh, a spiritual successor. I mean, we just played a game, Firewatch a couple yeah. months ago that had that same idea. It was a team of eight to 10 people, uh, yeah. including all the artists and programmers and design team, everything. So I like the idea that the games are getting back to that. Obviously you have giant AAA games that aren't doing that. They have hundreds and hundreds of people working on them over a year in advance, but uh, years and years in advance, I should say, but it's cool seeing these games that can be just as fun as any of those wanting, putting a value on having a small team, kind of keeping that in house as much as possible and small. So he lists out 17 points. He calls them uh, of why or what he would do if he made another monkey Island, by the way, he mentions many times in this blog post, he is not making one. He's not working on one. Anyway, this was four years ago. Until he gets a million followers on Twitter. That's true. So our million, you guys just run over there and we'll get it in an hour. Uh, let me check real quick how many he has. 92,000. So only 908,000 left. Yeah, 908. Yeah, yeah that's, that's solid. Yeah, so he's getting there. He's almost there. Anyway, uh, so 17 points. One of them I, is I would rebuild scum. <laughs> so just a couple small things that he would do. Um, this would pay his salary for several for several years, I'm guessing, if he ever ended up remaking a monkey island and from what i've read on the dev blog it seems like they did that with thimbleweed park yeah they've Re- been working on that for a long time it seems like they they rebuilt oh they the, rebuilt scum, the scum yeah exactly, exactly from scratch i mean I'm, i don't know if they're calling it scum or i can't remember the name they're, they're giving it but it's a completely new thing so let me ask you super nerd comic yeah. book lover a guy who has his own box of the comic book store picks it up weekly or monthly uh if this went the way of the whedon and like Serenity, Buffy, what I don't know. If, oh, an angel too. Jeez. Uh, and they started graphic novelating Monkey Island. If, if let's say the three got back together, Schaefer, Grossman, Gilbert, and they're like, hey, let's let's just write some stories. We'll write write the loose outlines. Even other people will put them together. Let's say they got the same artist. Whatever continuity isn't an issue. Is that something you would want to read, or is that something that's so different you just want it in point and click form? Oh, absolutely. I'd be one hundred percent in. Yeah. Uh, the question is, would German gamers read it? Because for some reason, Germany seems to be where all of these games are getting played. Um, the Hasselhoffian effect. It's, it's amazing. And it's becoming the center of the free world. So uh, that's cool. Um, you know, I think the future is games for Germany. 
Yep. Yep. Sounds good. All right. So let's start getting into more of the the less, less of the making of more kind of the story behind. So in the research we do a little behind the scenes. Uh, first of all, we have uh, the book, the great, amazing uh, story of Lucas Arts, Rogue Leaders, uh, by the amazing Rob Smith. <clears throat> Anyway, which we read whatever we can relating to the game we're talking about that month in the big Tome of Amazingness. Uh, and then we also just we peruse the Wikipedia page on the game just to make sure there's no like glaring things that we're missing from that book. And then we from there we go and find any interviews or any articles from that time specifically if we can. Then we find if they remastered it, any, any more recent interviews. So that's kind of the general research process for us. So on the Wikipedia page, I just wanted to read one sentence. It was great because it just summed up when you're looking for the, the, uh, the map to, uh, to Dinky Island to find the treasure of Big Whoop. <laughs> the sentence is just classic because it says, a summary of this quest, of these puzzles says, After a lengthy quest involving library research, rigged gambling, theft, drinking contests, necromancy, monkeys, and spitting, Guybrush is able to recover all four fragments of the map. Which, <laughs> let me just point out, don't matter because you do not use them to find Dinky Island. This is true. <laughs> That's a good point. Wow. Yeah, we're jumping in full spoilers from here on out. Just oh, heads yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so from there, let's just jump into the gameplay. Sure. Yeah, so now we're in gameplay. Let's talk uh, just a quick overview of the plot, and then we can dig in on uh, some of the stuff there. So uh, one of the things I love about this game, and I remember it from being a kid, is that the whole thing is told in a frame narrative. Guybrush is hanging from a rope in one hand, and on his other hand he's holding the giant treasure chest, and Elaine Marley rappels down uh, to rescue him. And he says, you know, give me a hand, help me up. And she says, well, how did you end up here? And she makes him tell her the entire story before she'll help him up, uh, which to me is which, just by the way, I like hilarious. You assume. Yeah. Oh, it's such a great open. I, I like the idea that we assume that they're together because that's how yeah. monkey one, uh, monkey Island, monkey one, we'll call it monkey ended. one, monkey one, watching fireworks. We assume that they got married, had babies. And this is like the story of his grandson or something. But I'm pretty sure this is like a month later. They didn't really ever even get together. Right. And she's just kind of annoyed with him. Yep. And they're just kind of acquaintances. Yep. I mean, uh, there's a scene when we find out how she finally got there, she hears a gigantic explosion and goes, oh, guy brush. Yeah. And I mean, she just assumes it's him. It's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, so that is their relationship is her being mildly annoyed by him, but thinking it's also kind of endearing. Yeah. So the whole thing, 95% of it is you are telling a story to Elaine. Yeah. Uh, and basically then, the story. Yeah. And then we cut from there to, uh, when he's going to remember back to where all this starts, it's him telling a story. So Monkey <laughs> Island 2 is really, really, really about storytelling. Uh, yeah. You know, if you didn't notice that, they hit you over the head with that hard, um, which is kind of awesome because it's such a silly story that for it to be also so complex and intricate is really fun. Also, spoiler, the whole thing might just be a story. Yeah. Like, and not even the idea of like, oh, this game's a story and like that. Like, but I mean, within this game... The way the game ends, again, spoiler, uh, it's at least hinted at this is all in the mind of like an eight-year-old guy brushed three wood. So because and this is getting just at a theme park. This is getting confusing already. 
So let's talk about <laughs> some video game and film terminology. Uh, right. We'll start with the word diegetic. Beautiful. Diegetic means it's at the story level. Yep. Then okay. we can go to extra diegetic, which is mean outside of the story. So that might right. be uh, a frame narrative within this, mm-hmm. which this is, or it might be like the music that's changing, but we know the music isn't right, really right. happening in the story. We usually think of it as the music. Uh, I bring up the frame narrative, though, because there's another term, which is hypodiegetic. And that's usually what we mean when we talk about a frame narrative. Someone is telling a story in a fictional universe, and then we flash into that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've that's got like the family guy trope, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that one time, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, but almost always the with family guy, it's there's one diegetic level, and it jumps to a hypodiegetic and back real quick. Yeah. Um, so you never you don't spend eight hours in An the hypodiegetic that, right, role. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, with the opening of Monk Allen, we've got the diegetic. The, the uh, extra diegetic would be the game music saves, all that stuff. The hypodiegetic is now pretty much the entire gameplay. But even when we first jump to the hypodiegetic, there's another hypo-hypo where he's telling the story of the first game. So the first oh game gosh. is literally a story within a story within a story. And then at the end of the game we jump up a level towards the extra diegetic when we real, we find out that the entire thing might be a kid playing mm-hmm. pretend a kid with a really great imagination who's imagining all these levels and actually managing to keep them pretty straight and then breaking it once where when we finally found out that it's a kid, there's that great stinger at the end of Mo- Elaine saying, I wonder where he went. I mean, yeah, did it happen? Where, where are we in this? Uh, it's really complex and really cool. Oh man, that, that's where Chris Nolan got the idea for Inception. Now Basically. I know. Basically. It's a dream within a dream within a dream. Yeah. All that Which we see and all that it, we seem is but a dream within a dream. Exactly. Thank you, Chris Nolan. Yeah. It was <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe by way of Pink Floyd, but yeah. Yeah, that's Exactly. Too. That's what I meant. All right. Uh, yeah, so basically you're looking for a map that you have to put together. Four, you have four pieces of the map scattered around. You get those, and then by the time you get those, you get kidnapped by uh by lechuk anyway so it doesn't even matter that you had the map uh and you fight what happens then the, and um, it's the map to the treasure of big wolf um oh yeah guybrush yeah, has yeah. already discovered the secret of monkey island which he of course never discovered in the first one and now he's going to go get the treasure of big whoop which spoiler alert he only kind of gets yep yep so you and wally who's a cartographer that you befriend early in the um in the game are taken by uh, Largo Legrand, the bully of Scab Island. Wow. Yep. It's a lot going on in my brain right now. A lot going on. Uh, <laughs> end up getting kidnapped by him, going to LeChuck. And when you talk to LeChuck, uh, you escape somehow uh, and you light off a room full of dynamite, obviously. Which, by the way, when I buy dynamite, I'm not going to keep a whole room of it. I'm going to scatter you, that you stuff scatter around, around the house. Yeah. It's just, I've watched cartoons. I know how you should do this. Yeah. Uh, and you just, uh, blow up LeChuck's hideout in doing so. And then when you blow up because you're a cartoon, you can't die or you're in a dream. You can't die. Unlike Inception. Uh, it, the explosion propels you all the way over to Dinky Island. Yep. Where you meet your good friend, Herman Toothrot. Herman Toothrot. But what about your good friend, Wally B. Feed? No idea. Yeah, does he die? Should we assume <laughs> that he's dead? No idea. Oh my gosh. Anyway. And then through, uh, some very difficult puzzles with cr- cracker-related puzzles. <laughs> you somehow uh, find the treasure of Big Whoop. 
Uh, you dig your way down, and then it gets really meta. What yeah. is it, hypoglycemic? What'd you call it? Uh, hypodiegetic. Yeah, exactly. Where you see LeChuck, you have to put together a voodoo doll of LeChuck as he's stabbing the voodoo doll of you. And that took me so, so freaking long. How did you figure out you needed to get his beard? Or that how, how did you figure out to get his beard? Oh, I super cheated there. Um, oh, okay. It, it'd Gosh. been forever, and I was just like, I got to finish this game. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is I had already gotten the elevator to work by doing the helium yeah. balloons. Yeah. Oh, then, smart. Okay. And then um, got his beard that way. The thing that took me forever was trying to figure out how to make the voodoo doll because I kept trying to use the beard with the underwear, and it was like gross. But you had yes. to use you had the, the bag, bag, the juju bag. You put a bunch of stuff yeah. in the bag. That um, took me forever too. I was like, should I use the martini glass? Do I use? Yeah, I don't know. And that we do realize that for anyone who has not finished the game, we are talking gibberish right now. Yes. Uh, yes. And uh, yeah, so uh, fast so forward just, five ten minutes until you hear the beer and the song part. <laughs> no, no, no. Those, there's. I I think one thing we can do is real quickly. You know, we got to the Dinky Island part. You started to talk about, and I think there's a puzzle there that works really nicely to explain how Monkey Island works. So, uh, there's the, uh, the, oh, what is that? Not prop shop. There's the shop, oh, the boutique. Uh, the booty boutique, I believe is what it's called on Booty Island, uh, where he says, oh, this is my son or my nephew's mat piece. It's sitting there right on the countertop. You can't have it. And you're like, how much can I buy it for? Six million pieces of eight. That's all it costs. Okay. So you talk to him a couple more times and you figure out the only thing you could possibly trade it for is a piece off the hull of the Mad Monkey Wreck, which is a ship that crashed nearby. So to figure that out, again, there's a little cheating in here because I did not, there's no way I ever could have figured this out without my older brother. Uh, basically, oh, you have to go to the Fat City Library, yes, on a different island, look under not Mad Monkey or Monkey or Wreck or Ship, look under Disasters, disasters. to get to the book yeah. Great Shipwrecks of Our Century, which took forever and a half to find. Uh, then you have to go to, oh, Dread, your captain, who's driving you all around, won't go there. Nope. I tried to go to those exact coordinates. It's in the Devil's Parallelogram. Uh, it's just in the Devil's Triangle. Uh, but I bet Captain Kate capsized will, but you need the cash. So, in order to get the cash, you need cash to get the mon- Mad Monkey Wreck to get the cash to get the map, by the way, right now. Yeah. Uh, we're like halfway there. Uh, you have to win a spinning contest. Yep. Which... In order to do that, you have to buy the horn at the Booty Boutique. Yep. I think I believe that's where you get the horn, right? Yep. You have to figure out that the horn makes people makes the guy with the cannon fire the cannon, and when you do that, the spitting contest MC walks over and check. He checks for the mail the ship. Mail, mail ship. The mail boat, whatever it is. So when he does that, you have to figure that out, and then you have to actually go over to the spitting contest, make that happen, then switch the flags around. Then you have to go enter the spitting contest, figure out when the wind is blowing the right direction, yep. spit at that exact moment to get first place after you've already cheated. No, assuming, no, no. Assuming I'm sorry. you've already drank the grog that you yes. mixed to be the color green because you remember Largo spitting green. That's exactly right. I almost That was the hardest part for me, actually. Yeah. You have to go back to the bar, again, back on a different island. You have to get red... Uh, you get a yellow drink, a red drink, and a blue drink. Perfect. Prime colors, yep. right? So you get to mix those together until you get green, uh, which was, again, yeah, the color the color that Largo spit. Use that to spit to get first place, because that's that color obviously spits better than other cl- colors. Then you get the, because the, the Booty Boutique guy loves bronze, you get a medal from getting the, uh, what I was going to say? 
Uh, you get a cutters. medal from winning the spinning contest. So you sell that back to the guy at the booty boutique who will give you 6,000 pieces of eight, which then you can take to Captain Kate Capsize, who will then pilot you to the coordinates that the great shipwrecks of our century told you to go to, where the Mad Monkey was wrecked. Dive down, take your saw, saw off the Mad Monkey headpiece, go back up, sell that to the guy at the booty boutique, and he will give you the uh, young Lindy's map piece. You're a quarter of the way there. Yeah. And I remember vividly, <laughs> this is one of my... Rem- and you're doing all these map pieces at the same time. This isn't yeah. a linear thing. No, and you're sol- so you're solving the other puzzles by accident, almost, yes, while you're solving exactly. this first puzzle. And they're all overlapping yes. on each other. Um, you know, there's, you've got no indication that Captain Kate sa- Capsize is the person who will get you young Lindy's map. She might get you um, whoever else's map. I can't Whatever remember their, else, all their yeah, names I now. don't even know. But I vividly remember as a kid mixing all the different drinks, and we got so many drinks so that we could mix all the different combinations. Um, and I th- yep. think if you mix it, once you go past a secondary color, it just turns brown. Okay. I didn't do that. Um, and, and, and gets gross, and you can't use it anymore. But we had As soon as I realized you could mix could. the drinks, I was like, oh, okay, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, so wasn't there one of these games, remember what you were going to say, because mine's a real quick thing. Yeah. Uh, where you have to get like hair of the dog off of a dog and like make a drink with an actual, that maybe that's familiar. in Curse of Monkey Island is coming up or something. That sounds familiar. I kept waiting for that to happen in the cemetery and yeah. the bartender it never happened. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, that sounds familiar. Different game. What were you going to say? Um, yeah. And so Ben, I think your example of a puzzle really gets to the frustration of Monkey Island 2 and the complexity of some of these puzzles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we've already alluded to the fact that that piece of the map to Dickey Island does not matter. You have to find it mm-hmm. to progress in the game, but you are told later that it does not matter. Uh, a real yeah. quick kind of puzzle to figure out, you know, how does this, what you're doing doesn't matter. Everything you're doing is useless and pointless, which is kind of the general theme of both of these games. That's um, true. So a quick version of that is once you get to Dickey Island, Ben, you alluded to a saltine cracker related puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, you figure out that you know you got Herman Tooth out there, and he wants you to tell him uh, if a tree falls in the forest and it doesn't make a sound, what color is the tree? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just guess colors. And there's it seems to be hundreds. I mean, I never ran out of colors to guess. Every time um, the text options show up, it's just seven new colors. <laughs> right. So it's there's there's this nice little Magenta. kind of dead end where you can waste time and feel like you're doing more. Uh, and then you figure out that if you give a parrot a cracker, he will tell you one more piece of directions to get to uh, the treasure, to where the treasure mm-hmm. is buried. Yeah. Um, and then you wander about in a maze and get lost a bunch till you can find some dehydrated crackers to add water to. But you can't add the salt water to it from the ocean. You have to distill it first to get the salt out. And then you can add that, give them the crackers, you finally find the big X, and the second you do, Herman Toothrot comes around the corner and says, oh, why didn't you take the shortcut? And evidently, <laughs> if you'd walked off the screen in the other direction from where you start, yep. then you would have gotten there right away, um, which is hilarious and great. But that's the feeling of playing these games, is yes. you're working really hard to solve a puzzle, and the second you do, all of your accomplishment is stolen from you by a character. Yeah, it's. It, I never get to that point, and or very rarely, and get to the point and feel frustrated. Like, no. I, I, and maybe that's because I know this game. It's so just infused to who I am and playing these games that I know that it, it's. I laugh every time. Yeah, like it's. It's never a frustrating. Like, oh, why didn't he just tell me that? Because that's not the point of this game. This isn't 
a linear, or maybe this, no, this isn't an open world game, I should say. This is right. a linear process. You have to solve these puzzles along the way. You can't skip them. Um, and it's just, again, it's kind of a um, hypodiagenetic, diagenics. <laughs> it's hyperdianetics way of saying this is a story. The puzzles you're doing are helpful and they're good and you're smart if you figure them out or whatever and they're clever, but this is a story we're telling. We're going to tell it our way. Just so you know, like you could cheat the whole way or you could figure them out. Either way, it's a fun story. Now that you've made it this far into the podcast, let's pause for a, a quick word uh, from the Church of Scienceology. <laughs> Scienceology. <laughs> oh. All right. So, uh, one other part of the game I wanted to talk about was uh, just Wally as a character. Um, yeah. Because he's he might be my monocled favorite part of the cartographer. Game. The monocled yeah. cartographer. Um, you early on, you steal his monocle, which mm-hmm. is just insanely <laughs> cruel because it shouldn't be a big deal. If you've got a monocle, you've got one working eye, you can get around, right? True. But he seems to be completely blinded by this and is just feeling My around monocle. on his desk. And he spends, you know, the game time of hours, maybe days, mm-hmm. just yeah. kind of reaching around on his desk, trying to find it. Um, <laughs> Finally, you get him out of there. You replace it with a uh, a light, <laughs> the lens from a model lighthouse. All right, that makes sense. Anyway, right. Um, but the, just the incessant cruelty that you do to Wally is absolutely hilarious. So uh, you can find him. He's chained up in LeChuck's fortress, and when you get there, one of the conversation options because he's he's hanging from his arms by chains and he's just swinging <laughs> slowly back and forth. And one of the conversation options is, would you stop that annoying swinging? And of course, as soon as you say it, he just does. He goes, "Oh, sorry." And, it, and the whole rest so of the conversation he stops. Cruel. It's so good. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Evidently, he can stop the whole time. But oh my gosh, <laughs> it feels so mean. Uh, and then he dies at the end. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. He blows up. No idea. I think we. I think he's in curse. So I don't think he dies. But yeah. Um. By the way, no Murray still. No Murray. I was totally wrong. Where is I Murray? guess he's in Curse. I thought he was in every game. All right, dude, you know what this game was missing also was Chuck the Plant. Yeah. Chuck is a plant, but he's so much more than that. I said Chuck's not only a plant, he's an NPC and champ. Where is was Chuck the Plant? <laughs> Wasn't he? I guess Maniac Mansion was the first one, so yeah. part of me associates him so strongly with... Uh, Monkey Island, though. I just assumed he was in every Monkey Island, so my bad. Man, well, hopefully he'll be in Curse. We'll see him soon. But I miss talking about him. We miss you, Chuck. We'll, we'll have to do a side quest just to talk about Chuck and our love of him. Bring on so. some important guests, some experts, maybe. Absolutely. Maybe yeah, a botanist. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Paleobotanist, possibly. Ooh, there we go. Anything else from you? No, let's, uh, let's talk about beer and song. Sounds good. This game's pretty with frustration when I was all done I just had to question what's the beer, what's the song I can't always tell I just want to know what game is Westy 12 alright so let's start with the beer uh, and I'm going to go first a little unusual uh, but I'm going to go with a beer I hadn't had until a couple weeks ago it was on tap at my uh my local uh, tavernary, uh, and that is Caldera Brewings, which is a local Ashland, Oregon brewery, toasted coconut chocolate porter. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the cover or the, the the cover, the label of it has coconuts and palm trees. They're 
do coconuts come from palm trees? Or are they different things? Is there, are there coconut trees? I'm only envisioning them in cartoons. And the answer is yes, they come from palm trees. Right. Based on my knowledge of cartoons. So the fruit of the palm. Sure. Like, anyway. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, so that's what it has on it. Uh, very Island esque uh, picture and it tastes like a chocolate milkshake. Mm. So having it on tap, I bought a couple bottles of it too. And it is just fantastic. I will relate this to the game somehow. Uh, and that is this game is a dessert to play. Yeah. It is just really fun. It does have challenging parts here and there, obviously. Um, but it's just a blast to play. Uh, reminiscing from a nostalgic point of view, it's really fun to just think of, you know, having milkshakes as a kid, playing this game as a kid. And now as you're an adult, the game is still super hard, really difficult. So it's fun to enjoy, enjoy as an adult as well. Just like uh, this 9% beer is fun to enjoy as an adult. Yeah. That's my connection. Right. <laughs> I think that that all checks out. Perfect. What do you got? Um, I went with Sierra Nevada's Celebration Ale. Um, And I went for it for a couple reasons, but the main one is uh, an emotional one. When I first had uh, Sierra Nevada's Celebration Ale, I just, I didn't get it. Um, I was still very new to drinking good beers and I was like, this is really bitter. I don't like it. It's it's really gross. <laughs> I ended up literally dumping out the rest of the bottle because oh, I thought it was terrible. Oh, no. And, I mean, now it's one of my favorite beers. I, I love that fresh hop flavor. Um, yeah. And so that was my feeling on beating Monkey Island. I think we alluded to this a bit, but at the end of the game, it turns out the entire thing was you playing pretend with your brother, maybe, except your brother has glowing eyes, so maybe True. not. Um, True. True. And it's By the way, we will let, I'll post a few. I did a lot of research on the end of this game. We didn't talk a lot about it. Uh, we, sorry. Uh, I did a lot of research into the end of the game. We talked a lot about it, you and I, off the pod. Um, but we didn't get into it because it's all speculation. And so yeah. I figured that's something le- better left for um, either Fulmf.com, which we'll talk about later, or just for our adventure. So I'll, I'll link to a few articles, a few blog posts that talk about what are the possible meanings, what could uh, Ron Gilbert possibly have been going with his trilogy idea, but yeah, we didn't we didn't get super into that. Yeah, my own theory on it was just that it was like intentionally doing one twist too many, and that you weren't supposed to figure it out. I like um, that. Which which is fine. I mean, it's kind of like an anti theory. It's not really a theory about it. It's like no, they're just having fun. Isn't that fun? Yeah, um, yeah. I think that, but, that I think that's a good interpretation. Mine was uh, I was pissed when I was like, wait, this is all a dream. But then when you have the after credit sequence with Elaine, who's like. Hope he's not under some spell. I was looking forward to you know the third one. I know it doesn't start this way, but yeah, a third hypothetical game starting as you having to get out of this, yeah, what eight year old's dream or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, keep going. What's your was that the end of your beer? Uh yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, okay, Sierra Nevada's Celebration Ale is an awesome beer and it's complex so and it's cool and you know yeah, double IPA. Um, huh? No, the Torpedo's the double. Yeah, no, this is Fresh Hop. Fresh Hop. That's right. Okay. Nice. All right. So what's your song? Uh, my song is, uh, I, I wanted to get to the feeling of the kind of linear storyline. You do not feel in control at any point in this game. Mm-hmm. And yet you get to just kind of lay back and enjoy the sights and, and just let yeah. the game wash over you. So I went with Passenger by Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Thanks to Captain Morgan, it's piratey too, because they did an anti-drunk driving PSA with that song. Yeah, strong connection um, there. Yep, that, that's all. That I made think as of. much sense as my connection to it for Monkey yep. Island too. 
great, great job. All right, uh, mine's a little sillier. Not that yours wasn't silly, uh, but mine is just a, a classic uh, Lonely Island jam, uh, in which I'll set it up. Actually, it's an SNL skit, Lonely Island. The boys put this digital short together, and it's kind of the classic like we're rappers, but we're like three white Jewish guys rapping. So it's a little over the top, meant to be made fun, making fun of themselves. They're in the club. Michael Bolton comes in. And he's like, I got this awesome hook for you guys. Start singing the song. I'm going to come in when the chorus comes out. I'll sing the hook. And it goes like this. It's Tortuga like a dozen times. Anyway, I love the idea that that this is just Michael Bolton having recently watched Pirates of the Caribbean 10 years too late and it being his favorite movie. And that's all he can talk about and sing about. Uh, And it's just a loose connection to pirating there. But um, it made me laugh just like this game made me laugh. And it's over the top just like the song is. Um, But yeah, definitely just there's a little parental advisory on the song. So when we, if you Google this or when we link to it in the adventure, um, just make sure you watch it with your parents is the takeaway. Yeah. Uh, it can be a really good time for the whole family to get together. And uh, when you do, point out to your parents the uh, hypo and extra diegetic levels in the yep. music video. And just how many thetans um, they have when they're checking their Dianetic levels. That's right. Of something. <laughs> All right. So next month's game, uh, we're talking about it. It's been like two whole months since we did a game from the past <laughs> century. So we're going back again. We're going forward in time. And we are doing a game, I believe, from 2015, fall of 2015, That's Star right. Wars Battlefront. The reason I bought a PS4. The reason I pay for an EA subscription every month. Yep. Because I need one to play this game. Because yep. new video game consoles are stupid. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, so we've both been playing this a lot recently because we're super nerds, even though this game's been out for a whole year and a half. Uh, But yeah, it's a LucasArts, even though LucasArts doesn't exist, it's a LucasArts-related game because it's Star Wars, so it's something uh, we had to tackle eventually. And with Battlefront 2 most likely coming out later this fall, we figured sooner the better. Um, So yeah, we're we're really excited playing this game a bunch. Have you played it much the past couple weeks? I haven't played it, played it recently. I played it when it first okay. came out and with some of the initial DLC stuff, but I've heard that the more recent stuff has been a lot better, so I can't wait to get back into it. Yeah, so uh, yeah, another thing is the reason we wanted to play this is Rogue One came out a month before we record this podcast, a little over a month, uh, and so there was a new downloadable content. I think it was the fourth of four, so the last thing they're going to do for Battlefront, and it featured the Scarif battle, so that was like yeah. the tropical island battle at the end of the movie. Uh, so you can specifically go in and there's different campaigns you can do there. Like I think one of them is actually getting, you know, stealing maps and uploading them like in the movie. So, um, but yeah, so we'll download that. We'll be playing that over the next month. Please join us. Uh, and another star Wars related thing we're going to be doing hopefully in the next couple weeks, probably before this battlefront episode comes out is state of the star Wars. Uh, yeah. what are we at right now? What's it looking like? How do we feel about things? Um, so this is something is that we're calling state of the wars, state of star Wars, state of the star Wars. State of the uh, franchise. Like yeah. Um, but it's uh, something that we'll be able to do every year from now on because oh, this yeah. is our lives now. We get a Star Wars movie every year. Oh, like everybody God. just soak that in. I didn't do that for you, but uh, enjoy it. 
people mention this, this to me as a negative thing, but until they start just sucking, being really bad, like we're two for two now as being yeah. above average movies. And so I'm happy we, with it, man. Bring me Star Wars. We got three decades of nothing new except for yep. some really, really mediocre movies. And so would argue worse. Lots of mediocre books too. Yeah. So to have something really solid, um, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Man, so yeah, so we're going to be talking, uh, it's going to be a two-parter. I don't know how long they're going to be. We're going to kind of do a free-flowing, but we're going to have uh, one part B from a fan perspective, which again, Jason and I are kind of big Star Wars fans, and we're going to invite uh, a couple friends of ours that have been on the podcast before, so some old friends, to just kind of talk about the impact that Star Wars has had in pop culture, with us personally, kind of our favorite parts, parts that might not be as good as other parts. Who's to say what's good and bad about Star Wars, right? We, us, we are us. the people who will we'll say tell what's you good. what's good and what's bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to have another perspective uh, from the filmmaker. So we're going to have a couple of filmmaker friends of ours on talking specifically kind of breaking down the original trilogy compared to the prequels, compared to the new ones, kind of where they excel, where they maybe decelerate. I don't know, whatever the opposite of excel is. Um, <laughs> then... Jason's just shaking his head at me. So anyway, we're going to do that. So look out for those. Um, if you've subscribed to our podcast, they will show up automatically. Uh, and I think anything else you can do, another thing actually to mention is that a good friend of ours, Nicholas Gates, who uh, part, part owner and manager, director, I don't know what he is, of Gates Furniture in Grants Pass, Oregon. You should check it out. No taxes to pay there, by the way. Uh, but he's been on the podcast before. He started a website called fomf.com www.fomf.com, F-O-L-M-F, which stands for Friends of Low Moral Fiber. Which you, if you are, consider yourself a friend, which if you're listening to this, we probably consider you a friend of ours. Yeah. Uh, you can go on there. It's a Tumblr website where you can go on and, and sign up and just kind of post uh, anything you think is related to, to men of low moral fiber, whether that's Star Wars, Star Trek, Lucas, Spielberg, whatever, anything you think that's funny, um, feel free to post there, read there. Uh, right now, it's just a couple people posting it, Jason and I, Nick, uh, Richard Niles posting a couple times here and there. So, um, But yeah, check that out. It's going to be kind of our version of a discussion board or a thread on our website. We'll probably link to that on our website eventually, but that'll be kind of the, the fan place where we also interact in a non-blog, non-adventure forum. Yeah, get out there and fumph. Yeah, fumph it out. So. Oh, but yeah, otherwise, check us out, menoflowmoralfiber.com. Uh, our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Google us, whatever, you can find us. Uh, anything else before we go? No, I think that's about it. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you can, if you have 30 seconds to spare, go to the iTunes store and just give us a quick five, four, three, two, one. Maybe a five star. Just give us a five star rating. Just a five star. Who cares? You know, right? if you're gonna give us a one, it's not even worth the time. <laughs> Don't give Don't us a three. It. What do you why are you wasting no. your own time for a three? Give us a five, five. star. Tell people why you like us. Uh, that would be really nice. That would help us out uh, in a big way. And that would kind of help spread the word, the, the mom for it and the fault for it. So thanks again for joining us. As always, I have been Ben. And I will be Jason. And for the second time, I am a mighty pirate. And I am your brother. No!